Extra Butter Podcast. Ain't nobody passed my boy Daniel Day Lewis yet for a man. Yeah, exactly. Daniel Day Lewis is if he's if he's in a movie, if they see him on the cast list, he's nominated for an I'm Oscar. Let's just I'm gonna get the coats. I'm t- I'm bro. He could he could be a producer, and they would be like, "Can we give a producer an Oscar?" Cause... That'd be cool. Daniel Day is going to take that producer role seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah, we have to live in huts. No, we don't. We need <laughs> we need to live in a hut and we need to build it ourselves. I'm is telling that real you, man. Mud? Is that real mud? I don't think Can so. Can you imagine Daniel Day-Lewis as a casting director? He'd just go to graves and try to resurrect people. <laughs> I need the real person. I don't want to find an actor. Is this Lincoln's grave? Yeah, dig it. Dig it dig up. It. Why? I need to study him. Not only do I need to study him, I need to be him. Starts getting in the grave. Excuse me, Abe. Start pushing him to the side. Oh shit! Like, oh the, man, I'm gonna to return this hat. I'm gonna borrow it for a few days. Daniel Day Lewis plays a mummy, and they're like, "Where has he been? He's literally been buried underground <laughs> over a month. I haven't seen him. I don't even know how he's eaten. He asked uh, us to. He asked us to shoot him. I don't know." Uh, yeah, <laughs> literally wanted to be man. killed, mummified yeah, him in we, the original process. We casted him in the missing Malaysian flight, and he literally axed a flight to go missing. So I have no idea where he is. Jeez, bro, I could see yeah. Daniel Day doing some crazy things for 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 an Oscar. I don't even know if he doesn't for an Oscar. I think he does care about the craft. But man, uh, I could not. I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard a rumor that like he, like did he, he did a, he did a uh, film where he was in a wheelchair, right? Um, is that accurate? That? My left foot. Correct, and I heard that he was with his method ways in a, in a wheelchair for like a very long time, like a you know trying to feel what it's like to be in a wheelchair to the point where like his wife had to help him around the house. And I can't imagine any woman yeah, the having audacity. to deal with that shit. Can you imagine knowing that your husband is fully capable mm-hmm. of walking and he's just like, oh, baby, can you open this door? I just, <laughs> I just can't. The remote, the remote is right there. I'm telling the you what, man, right if I don't have a job because his job is so good, I don't have to work. I might push him around. <laughs> <laughs> I might do it. Like, if I ain't got to go to work and whatnot, and I could just chill, I might push him for a few months. The film shoot ain't that long. I'll live with it. It's all right. You know what I mean? Whatever you need, baby. You're right. They do need easily accessible doors in this restaurant. You're absolutely right. We should throw. I'm writing that Yelp review right now. Dear Mr. Royal Hampton. Hampton. (laughs) I am a... Never mind. Anyway, y'all, welcome to Extra Butter, your podcast for great conversation and great movies. This is Cam. This is Andy Long. And we are in the midst of, uh, Dylan and I, we didn't see it together, but uh, a couple months ago, it's been a couple months now, we had watched Oppenheimer, Mm. uh, Nolan's latest film, a three-hour masterpiece, I would say. I really enjoyed the film. Dylan, I think you did as well, right? Oh, hell yeah, dude. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, right. And we decided to do this podcast not only on Oppenheimer. Uh, Oppenheimer could have its own podcast in itself. But we decided to do one on pretty much all of Nolan's filmography because he is influential in many ways than just Oppenheimer. He's a big influence on myself and Dylan. Um, we were even debating on driving all the way to what was Fort it Lauderdale. to go see it Fort, Fort Lauderdale to go see Oppenheimer uh in uh the way it was uh supposed to be viewed as people were calling it Croppenheimer we were gonna go see it uh in the IMAX what was film. it the IMAX, IMAX but film, like baby but like the there's a difference right because there is an IMAX I'm putting huge finger quotes there's an IMAX theater at the Regal Point that's close to us but Dylan was telling us like it's that's not the real thing that's not so what describe to the people if we can nerd out for you guys for just a second dylan can you please describe what the difference <laughs> is for the average person which is pretty much probably 90 percent of people that don't understand the difference at all all right hold up <laughs> you ever seen your teacher and she tries <laughs> to flip a page and she's like yeah be licking your yep. fingers on my dylan, pages dylan just turned on the projector and hold on <laughs> All right, so we got different things. And before we we got digital, which is just digital, right? Before right. we had digital, the standard is 35 millimeter, which is this bad boy right here from Spider-Man. It's a classic. Even if you look close, it's even got the audio on the side. Now, to combat television in the 70s and different things, they tried to go with a lot of wide formats. So we're talking Cinerama, Panavision. They were trying, you know, the movie theaters with triple screens, wraparound screens, all that. So there still exists a few things of 70 millimeter film, which just means you're going to get more resolution because your film cell is going to be about this. This is from Interstellar. It's got this 15 perforations for the little sprocket holes down the side, and it's beautiful. Now, when we're talking about IMAX, they got different projectors. They have their laser one, which is like a dual projector. They have a regular one they call Xenon. And then if it's going to be the true IMAX that me and Cam are going to go for, it's going to be this big ass film frame that's 70 millimeter IMAX film. And it's so special that it goes through it horizontally instead of vertically so that it can get more space. So imagine you're running 24 frames per second with this. So that film strip is miles long. It's heavy as hell, and I was sad to hear of how many issues they had because of just the equipment breaking and not being used to showing the film all the time, and there was a lot of issues out there. But yeah. a lot of a lot of people balled out to see it, and they made a lot of money in that format. So I'm hoping they'll continue with it in the future. Yeah, I think that's so. A, I mean, that's a basic rundown. I, I would love to see how much money those theaters. Uh, those IMAX theaters made yeah um because I mean again like I, I we were willing to drive almost what was it like two it like, hours it was like three hours yeah <laughs> three hours yeah three hours to go see a movie that we already saw yeah exactly um, so, so it's like uh I, I can only imagine uh to, to be uh honest I think Interstellar which is another uh Nolan film is the only movie I've ever seen in true IMAX um, which was ironically at another space museum. Yeah. So, uh, in Hampton, Virginia. So I, I know that he is, he's been uh, advocating for movies in the standard for a long time. This isn't mm -hmm. just the, this is a new thing that Nolan's doing. And we did talk about uh, The Dark Knight with John. 
Um, mm-hmm. And we kind of mentioned the other, like the the Batman trilogy. So we won't really be talking about that. It'll mostly be his other films that aren't, you know, the the Dark Knight. But yeah, yeah. Um, let, let's start. Let's start from. Uh, I guess it's. I, I say let we we don't we won't talk about the Dark Knight, but obviously we have to talk about our first intro into Nolan. So that's right. I'll, I'll start with you, Dylan. It's probably Batman. But then, what was your first movie outside of the Dark Knight that kind of let you know the kind of filmmaker that Nolan is? If that makes sense. Yeah, Bat- Batman Begins was like the entry point because obviously it's Batman. We wanted to see what was going on. It was very pivotal at the time because much like. Daniel Craig doing Casino Royale. They had to reboot Batman, make him dark again. No more nipples, no more Chris O'Dowd, <laughs> no more bat credit cards and poison ivy. It was just gonna rubber be... lips. Yeah, rub. Good gosh. <laughs> <laughs> now it was gonna be dark and gritty. But besides that, it was uh, his first film was a black and white film called Following that I have not seen, but it was Memento. And Memento is what's his name? Guy Pierce and Carrie Ann Moss, who played Trinity right. in The Matrix. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've ever seen it, you knew you took a Tylenol afterwards because I had a fat migraine after I saw that film. Beesh, dude. It's a, I don't even remember the exact plot. It was something about like his wife got killed and he was trying to figure out what. But the film is running on like two different timelines going different ways and he's got tattoos on his body to give him clues because he's got these weird memory issues and i don't remember enough of it but i just know at the end of it my head hurt and you had to google what the hell was going on yeah yeah so i'm a lot like dylan batman begins was my first nolan film or at least yeah it was my first nolan film but it was the first film that made me go like wow this movie's really interesting i wonder who directed it and then it led me to his other films momentum was also momentum was also my first foray into like what Nolan is outside of a DC big budget film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I think my first kind of experience with a nonlinear film mm-hmm. when everything is super like out of order. So I remember being really confused as Dylan said, like the, the headaches, I just didn't really understand what was happening. When you understand what he was going for, the, the character has short term memory loss. So like the minute he remembers something, he forgets it. So the film is, presented in that way but i it, it's it's such a cool way of making a film that it's like we're like nolan was like i'm gonna leave you just as confused as our main protagonist yeah. it's really cool if you think about it in that way that he's like I, I, you're gonna have to understand it the same way he understands it which is crazy you know what i mean it's one of those films that you cannot be a casual watcher like you actually have to really get into it and pay attention so it's not something that works for everybody because, you know, they might just be putting it on to, you know, have it in the background or clean dishes at the same time. And sure. I think it was a wake up call that like his films were going to be things that like you go to the theater, you click in and you stay in like you're not just watching this on your phone. Yep. And I think yep, he's yep, found yep, a yep, lot yep. of ways to I mean, it's a good it's interesting because it's like his second film and you already see like his style or what could be his style and then it just got bigger and bigger and people Sheesh. just kept throwing dollars at him and he was able to expand yeah that very critical style but like with a big budget which is fascinating dude yeah that i think that's what makes it so interesting is that nolan he there's a lot of directors now that i feel do this as well so but i feel like nolan was 
one of the pioneers, at least in the 2000s, of of not treating his audience like they're dumb. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you're you're gonna like I, it's going it's going to be confusing, but I'm I'm going to trust in you that you're going to figure it out. I'm not gonna spoon uh, sp- uh, uh, spoon feed you the the yep. plot. I'm not gonna spoon feed you every aha moment. Like it's for you to figure out and. I love that because it kind of gives you as an audience member like a chance to uh, be a cinema goer and like enjoy the film and try to figure it out for yourself rather than, again, like just having things like there's nothing worse to me than when a, a twist is like just like it's it, it happens and then they spend the next like 30 minutes explaining the twist that just happened. It's like, dang, man, like, yeah, I know. Like we saw it, you know, like, I, I, I like it that. when. I picture that with the music from Saw. And they're just like re-explaining the whole plot. Just so you know. I got up because I took a pill. I wasn't actually dead. Just so you know. Like, like, come on, man. Like, I got it. You're prosthetic, like it's a Mission Impossible movie. Exactly. I wish I had a camera. You know, one of those MTV behind the scenes things where you had the camera and the and it's like all uh like night vision. I want to see yeah. people's reactions when fucking Jigsaw got off the floor because I guarantee people Dude. their pants when that happened. Bro, I <laughs> saw that movie. Shout out to my pops. I, my my Did dad took me you? to that movie at the yeah. He took me. He took me to. Uh, they don't have these theaters anymore. I don't think, but mm-hmm. a Magic Johnson theater. Uh, I, uh, which was like, I forgot he had those. Yeah, the Magic Johnson Theater, uh, somewhere in Baltimore, I think. I don't remember. Yeah, uh, but what I, year I we was went that? like oh four, oh four. I was I was middle school, just a, just maybe? a wee I was way lad. too young, way too <laughs> young to be in that film. But my dad was like the pioneer of like you know, if I'm here, you can watch this. You'll be all right. And we yeah. saw, and we saw Saul. And that ending happened. Spoiler If you haven't seen it, that's crazy. So, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Saw. We're about to be 10 but, films in. You better get your, yeah, get bro, your homework done. Yeah, that's wild if you haven't seen the first yeah. one. Yeah. But um, anyway, he gets up off the floor. And we all know if you've seen a movie with a bunch of black people, we are very reactive to films. When he got up off the floor, I saw popcorn <laughs> flying in that theater. Nigga, what? <laughs> oh shit! That's all you saw. Nah, like, nah, bro. nah, 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 nah. My dad is like, "Whoa, shit!" And there's you know always I mean? like, that was person crazy. that's not paying attention. That's like, "Yo, what happened?" <laughs> Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kid that's sleeping. The yeah, <laughs> exactly, dude. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that twist was insane. But um, yeah. Uh, going back to <laughs> Nolan, Gosh, we so just got off does... on a saw tangent. I love it, baby. We're... Listen, just just so you guys are aware, this is the last of the uh, you know Septemberish episode. We're getting into spooky season, so we're kind of already in the spirit. About to get so spooky. Be on the lookout because we're about to get there. But anyway, so we get through momentum. He gets to Insomnia, which I've seen. Dylan, I don't know if you've seen. No, never. That's with uh, right, Pacino yeah. and, and the great Robin Williams, right? Correct. Dude. I don't correct, even know correct. the plot for that movie. What is that? Uh, let me go. Let me go. Something, something like I swear he was like somewhere where the sun doesn't go down because I remember seeing something where like he was putting the curtains on the wall. I don't I'm trying know. Trying to find a uh, a quick one so that I'm not like uh, what's it called? Like I'm trying to go from pure memory. Insomnia. Great. Great. Shout out Robin Williams, bro. I miss him. 
Bro, I miss him, man. Man is a pure I, talented. Uh, recently, I've been trying to watch Flubber. Oh my goodness, dude! You ever Flubber, bro? All right, no, so I, you just know to I had do a quick the VHS. One. Bro, Flubber was that shit, dog. All right, so Burned from acclaimed tape, director bro. Chris Nolan comes the story of a veteran police detective, Al Pacino, Pacino, who is sent to a small Alaskan town to investigate the murder of a teenage girl, forced into a psychological game of cat and mouse. By the primary suspect Robin Williams, which I will say, seeing Robin Williams in a very serious role, mm-hmm. fantastic. Directed yep. by Christopher Nolan, it can't really get better than that. Um, events escalate, and the detective finds his own stability dangerously threatened. Bro, can um, you remember the first time you saw Robin in one hour photo, and you just question your whole life, dude? I if saw, you don't know, if you don't know one hour photo, go, yeah. it was like. As far as I remember, it was just Robin, and he was really creepy. I don't remember if he was, like, a serial killer or whatnot, and he worked at, like, Mm -hmm. the photo development in, like, a CVS, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, okay. Yeah, very creepy after watching him play Miss Doubtfire. (laughs) Yeah, dude, and he also is in... uh, The first time I ever saw him in a uh, creepy-ish role, he was in an episode of Law & Order SVU, where he also plays a... Are you serious? Yeah, he also plays a killer, yeah. Oh, and uh, it's like he's again really he 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 has a really emotional monologue in that episode. Uh, it's it, I mean again it's 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 very interesting to me because now you see it with Adam Sandler and a lot of these other like comedic actors like they do really well with dramatic roles. You know what I mean? Like, it's like they're able to tap into that like I don't know whatever that feeling is for dramatic. Obviously there are tons of actors that are known for dramatic roles, but. It's cool when you see like a guy who's known for comedy like hit that that deep bone that you didn't even know they had. You know what I mean? I think the thing about it is when you're doing comedy, people think it's just you having a good time. And when you're that big of a person known for comedy like Robin was, you realize that that is also another facet of acting. Like you are actually stretching that muscle to use that comedy. And so it'll actually be just the same as you doing something serious, you know? Like the Jordan Peele thing, going from sketch comedy to horror film. It's like, it's it's another version of acting. And when you're that big, you got to be that talented, you know? Absolutely. I I would say that comedy is the, is the like switch army blade of like the theater world. Yeah. And I know hearing that it, it might not make sense, but like, when it comes to comedy, especially like good comedians, they you, they always draw from places of realness and and sadness, right? Mm-hmm. Laughing at their pain, you know what I mean? Like you're you're finding moments of sadness and you're turning them into jokes, but they weren't jokes in the beginning. It, they were sad, you know. So there's that element. So if the actor knows, or if the comedian knows, okay, instead of turning the sad moment into funny, I'm gonna keep it sad. And then when it comes to horror, there's the punchline, right? The uh, making a joke funny it requires a punchline in order to get the laugh. Yeah. The same kind of cadence and rhythm uh, is also in horror. You need yeah. that tension. And when does the scare happen is the same kind of cadence in terms of comedy. So I feel like when these actors that center around comedy go into these other realms, it's like they already kind of have these switchblades or these these tools that are they're so well equipped for these other elements whereas you know you'll see like Kristen Stewart do like a comedy role and even though I'm not saying she can't do funny it doesn't seem to resonate as well you know because mm. she's 
she's already been in this drama game for so long. It's not that they can't be funny. Denzel can be funny. I'm sure Daniel Day Lewis can be hilarious. He's, he's funny sometimes in his movies, but it's like it would be hard to see Daniel Day in a Step Brothers. It would be hard to see Daniel Day in Good D or Mr. Deeds or yeah. Billy Madison. You know what I mean? For real, um, man. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like it's it's I, I when someone comes through um comes up through comedy. I always feel like if, if they are able to hit those other realms, it's always like, especially with Jordan Peele and and all these people, like it's just how high can they fly? You know, how like what can they get away with? Because mm-hmm. it's usually just the Hollywood box that keeps them in that box, not really their talent. Yeah, you know? trying not to get typecast. I think uh, yeah. Brian Cranston was saying something about working on like Malcolm in the Middle because they were just comparing how polar opposite it is for him playing like Walter White. And he Breaking was saying Man, yeah. that, he was saying that when he does comedy, it's something that like he doesn't try to be funny. He just plays it. He plays it straight mm, up like that character is wow. just being authentic, you know, and he's not actually yeah. trying to be funny because it is not going to come across real. And I think that's sure. a that's a good point. It's whatever Robin was doing, he was just trying to be, you know, real and authentic. He wasn't actually trying to be comedic. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, Robin is uh, uh, many things, right? A great comedian. He was a great. He was really good at impressions. Like he, it's kind of like what couldn't he do? You know, mm-hmm. you, you can't. You know, friend like me out here singing. You know, like he, <laughs> dude is uh, well, well, a fucking genius. Yeah, you know what I mean. He's uh, a fucking genius. Following, uh, following insomnia, you get your first little taste of a partnership between uh, Christian Bale and Christopher Nolan with the Prestige. You seen mm-hmm. the Prestige? I mean, I, yeah, that's the one. I haven't seen the Prestige. No. Okay, that one is basically like magicians battling. Is how I would describe it. Is like oh, two so it's different about magicians. It's like two different uh, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. And from what I remember, it's just kind of like them being both like illusionist magicians, whatever, and trying to mm-hmm. kind of like upstage one another. And Hugh Jackman just being like dumbfounded at how Christian Bale is so good and trying to figure out how the hell he's doing what he's doing. The weirdest thing is, is in it, I think Nikola Tesla is in it, but he's being played by David Bowie and one of his last like roles before he dies, before he died a little while later. And like he killed it. It was such an interesting like casting choice. I don't know how you got from Nikola Tesla is going to be in it, but like, yeah, he's going to be played by David Bowie. Damn. Scarlett Johansson. Michael Titan. I don't remember Michael Kine. Yo, there's a Michael Kine. See now, Christopher Nolan is not unlike you know Adam Sandler or Tarantino, <laughs> where he has a he's His got a brat pack. Bro. He's got a yeah. group. So I'm talking Michael Kane. He's paying that man's you know child support. You know, he talking Christian Bale. You know who else are we talking here? Oh, Killian Murphy. Who Killian. at at that point, Killian only got like side things because he was Scarecrow. You yep. know, in the Dark Knight, and well, actually, he was in Batman Begins. He made a little cameo in Dark Knight Rises, and then he made a cameo in Dark Knight. So he managed to. He's sneak in, in Dunkirk too, right? Which I didn't see. He's, he's in. Know. He's in Dunkirk, and then yeah. he also got to be in Inception, but he didn't get that starring lead until Oppenheimer. Oh, he and was let me tell in you, Inception. You're right. Inception. He was. Uh, he was the guy they were actually going into his dream. It was his yep, father. You're absolutely and they right. Were trying yeah. to press on that. Yeah. But until Oppenheimer, he didn't really get the lead role. And I'm telling you that man, when he finally got it, he crushed that. 
bro yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to oppenheimer it. but yeah I, I don't i don't think there's a chance anyone wins an oscar this year other than him but anyway i'm let's we'll, we'll get to it we'll get to it uh but um, i don't really yeah i just know. wanted to read the synopsis for the much. prestige yeah I was gonna say, go for it because it's been a long time since i've read that or yeah so <laughs> seen it for the prestige uh is a period thriller set in edwardian london where two rival magicians partners until the tragic death of an assistant during a show feud uh, feud this is interestingly worded feud bitterly after one of them performs the ultimate magic trick teleportation his rival ah. tries desperately to uncover the secret of his routine experimenting with dangerous new science as his quest takes him to the brink of insanity and jeopardizes the lives of everyone around the pair so I guess, it's, yeah, you're right. It's about too many. I'm thinking, when you think about magicians, I think about like, now you see me. This sounds a lot more insane. Or like, at least I, I did not time. like that. I'm going to be real with you. I did not like those movies. I thought those movies were Now ass. you see me? Yeah. People <laughs> really hyped them up. Like, yo, this yeah, movie's crazy, yeah. bro. Dave Franco. And I think those movies are ass. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just me, man. They're all right. I I, I, I don't hate them, but I, I do think that they're... Uh, I don't know, man. Like it, it's only you know, like they they make magicians seem like so cool, and they are yeah. cool to an extent. But like, name seven cool magicians. I got like two: David Blaine, remember Chris Angel, Copperfield, like, Mind, Mind Freak, Copperfield, Penn and Teller. Freak. I think we got five. Yeah, Penn and Teller. Yeah, that's all I got, homie. And whoever yeah. the latest America's Got Talent kid is, you know what I mean? And, and Houdini. Uh, <laughs> And shout out the OG, uh, but yeah, like 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 he's listening in. <laughs> that's his trick. He faked his, his death. Trick, he got he's a sorcerer's stone. He's still living, and he's listening to the extra <laughs> butter podcast. Shout out. He's listening to California Love of Tupac. Yo, Dan you know who Danny goes? Videos fire. He's a wild card. That Dave Chappelle skit. I will. I will not spoil the end of the prestige for you because you haven't seen it or anyone else right. at this moment because the M Night twist at the end, uh, with them trying to figure out how he did the teleportation and whatnot, is too damn good to spoil really? right now. You okay. have to Fair see enough. it. It's it's Fair the enough. only thing I really remember that stuck in my head about that was the twist because I was like, Oh, M Night, I see you on another level. You know? <laughs> sure, yeah. Now from right. Prestige, we have Batman Begins, which is 05. And again, massive movie. I saw it on a massive screen with my dad. I was impressed as hell at the changes they made for Batman. But the number one thing I left with was, damn, that car was cool as hell. Mm -hmm. the, the Batmobile being that like souped up jet powered Mad Max tank was so effing cool. I was like, man, I got to get one. I got to drive it. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah, dude. One of the best things about the thing. Yeah, I the Batman films, and we've spoken about them before. Please, uh, if you have the time, listen to that one with John, bro. It's it's uh, we go into depth about how much those films impact us as human beings on the planet Earth. Um, <laughs> but I will say it again, so I'm blue in the face. One of the best uh, superhero trilogies ever made, ever. It's they're amazing films. If you if you for some reason, which I again, I, if you're listening to this podcast and haven't seen them, I, I don't even know how that's possible. If you like haven't, haven't seen them, it's please, like you haven't seen Star Wars. That's just you know what I'm saying. Like, point. yeah, what the what the fuck are you doing on pod on a podcast? Go watch it right now. Turn this <laughs> off. Go watch it. Um, but yeah, 
uh, yeah, so he gets through. Uh, Batman begins the Dark Knight. He, in between the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, he does Inception. Um, which I think a lot. Th- this is I think the those other films like obviously uh, the Dark Knight is what kind of set off Nolan into like the popular consensus. Yeah. Like you know, then yes. everyone kind of has heard of who he is. So then from the the Dark Knight, Inception is his first. Like oh, it's that Nolan guy. Let's go watch yeah. the next and Inception was fucking amazing dude it was such a good uh it was definitely like okay the dark knight hit that billion and these days there's things hitting billion barbie's hitting a billion you know tickets are inflated prices right but for dark knight to hit the billion it was crazy because it was the same year iron man started in the mcu but it wouldn't it never felt like a superhero film and i never think of him that way he was pushing imax heath ledger won the oscar uh, post death and he killed it man and it was so much buzz so he basically got his i can make whatever i want next ticket and he mm-hmm. chose this mind f of a film that he had been cooking in a drawer for like 15 years and yeah i was blown away and in my opinion even though uh leo had been a rising star since he was a little kid I feel like mm-hmm. that was the thing that really springboarded Leo back into oh this guy can can throw down like he can handle a a big big film like this and after that he just started smashing really? out films you know what I mean yeah yeah I'm gonna be honest with you I don't like I I feel like I know Leo's filmography pretty well but I don't know what he was doing hold on I mean to... uh, previously like I swear like oh five was like Blood Diamond obviously Titanic was massive money wise like yeah yeah I'm I'm not like, here to yeah you know but I feel like it was for me personally just walk, going to the theaters and seeing Leo I felt like that was like the oh damn you know that was pretty good you know what I mean watching him go through the stuff yeah. with his wife and all these crazy scenes I was like yo Leo's the man. And after that, I didn't even care what it was. I just watched it, you know? Freaking yeah, Wolf of Wall Street, um, Revenant, like anything after Come that. On, I was rooting for that man to get his Oscar. I was hyped. Come on, man. Yeah, when I look at his filmography, yeah, you're right. I mean, like, you know, obviously, yeah. I'm not here to... He's got some fucking bangers. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, when it comes to... There is like a little gap uh, mm-hmm. between that and the Dark Knight, or sorry, and uh, Inception, where he maybe hadn't done anything of that magnitude in a while. Yeah, like he, he could have um, faded, so, you know. Yeah, or at least like yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good way to put it. Because once, once he hits Inception, it's it's, it's, it's we're we're rocking and rolling. It's 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 Django Unchained. It's the great gap. Like, he doesn't. Yeah, bro, he don't stop after hit. that, bro. He's hitting films he's hitting. and he's not dating over twenty five. You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> but I'm really, really happy that Inception you, got. You uh, <laughs> hide your wife. <laughs> he goes out on his yacht and he's picking up your ladies. I'm really glad that he got to do Inception and that he didn't just get stuck doing Batman for like ten years. Like it's dope that he got yeah. to do the trilogy and that each film felt like its own piece separate from the others. Like he came with a different flavor and tone each time, but it was nice right. to get like a palate cleanser in between and to mm. know that it wasn't just like, you know, when Michael DeBay did paint a game between eight transformers, like he did a movie in between and it wasn't forgettable. Like it was a standout, you know, you needed something right. to follow the dark Knight. So when rises came up in 2012, 
it was never a movie that was gonna beat what came before it but of course i just loved it for how weird and different it was because of course you're not gonna beat heath ledger's performance you're not gonna top whatever here so you just needed to go like outside the box and mm -hmm. when i saw the first footage from when they did like the prelude they showed the prelude in like imaxes and stuff of like the plane scene with bane yeah in the beginning which is all this real you know plane fuselage and all this stuff they shot up in the sky and it's imax footage and you i was just like yo he's about to cook on another level beautiful stuff. <laughs> really i don't know how you it. felt about it in terms of like its place in the trilogy dark knight rises yeah, yeah. it's um I like it more than Batman Begins. The Dark Knight is is arguably the best superhero movie ever made. So like like you said, it would be borderline you know he caught lightning in a bottle with that film. Yeah. You can't catch it again. You know what I mean? Nah. Like it's just it's impossible to try to catch, especially again with the tragic passing of Heath, like maybe if he comes back and God willing he was still alive and and there was a third one with him in it, maybe maybe there is a, a, a alternate universe where there is a better follow-up to the dark knight but with no heath he it's kind of like uh kugler with uh with wakanda forever we knew it was gonna be you know yeah. it, it was hopefully gonna be great but there's no way it was gonna be as good as the last one you know mm -hmm. um but that being said i think nolan did a fantastic job with rises i don't think it's you know with everything uh with all with everything uh you know thought about or uh, considered um that movie's beautiful it's beautiful to watch i love tom hardy's performance it, it it's the first movie that kind of put me on to tom hardy because i wasn't really yeah to who he was um before that movie and then like you go and see more of his filmography and realize how much because he's in inception as well yeah um, but he's he's not really a leading is he he's not really like a leading player in that he's more of a side character he's the the forger um, yeah, yeah like, a side, right. like a side character yeah so it's just like when rises came out it was like he was more of a lead and he's great as bane it's it's the best portrayal that of bane that's ever been put to the screen um and then you go and realize that tom hardy's also a magnificent actor so it's just kind of like you know nolan is i don't know man that that is a fantastic trilogy it's immense uh, as one of the greatest uh batman stories ever told in terms of three films um and it kind of it also kind of made me the the kind of kid that even though I didn't see Dunkirk, it's kind of like if Nolan's got a movie coming out, you you got to hey, consider going it. to see yeah. it. Yeah, you know what I mean. You have to consider it. You know. And at that point, um, everyone anyway. started getting used to his style, which was longer films. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. always. You know, a lot of things had gotten to a style where they were quick, ninety minute things, a little bit two hours, and you were sitting in Dark Knight Rises, and it was like three different movies, like. Bane took over the whole city, then he made it into like just an island, took out the bridges, then Batman came back, then this was, and it was like three hours, like your ass was in that seat. But you started to get used to his style and his magic, which was long three-hour films with a certain editing style to make them feel like they breeze faster. And he usually 100%. works with the same people, uh, Lee Smith is his editor, and mm -hmm. I always am impressed every time, even when I saw Oppenheimer, at how the film moves so that three hours doesn't feel that long. It feels more like two, but yet it's still able to have slow scenes and not get yeah. caught up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I will I will say, you know, yeah, skipping ahead to Oppenheimer real quick. Yeah, I will say 
I, I do think that it felt like three hours. To me, it felt mm-hmm. long. But I do think it's the best edited three-hour film you'll ever see. Yeah. Because the scenes move. That you don't sit on anything too long. The dialogue's always super fast. And, like, you know, they're trying to get to a point. Um, But even with that, there are moments where I was like, man, you could have cut, like, 30 minutes from this. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I totally yeah. understand, like, you know, like, I, I can't imagine how much was left on the cutting room floor. And even mm-hmm. with that, it's it's a brilliantly edited film. Um, but I also have to understand that it's it's three hours, and that's a lot of time for people to, you know, give to a movie. Yeah. Um, and I think Nolan never wastes your time. Yeah. Um, but there are people who didn't even go see Endgame in theaters because they were like, bro, I can't do it. Three hours. Wow, that's crazy. And that's man. what's... You know when saying? so much like, of I, that is action, it just breezes by, you know? Well, I'm telling you. And I have a few uh, people that I know that were like, yeah, I had to wait until I was until home because I couldn't sit through three hours. Man, and I know there are people out there like that who exist. You know what I'm saying? Like There are people yeah. that, that, that exist that just cannot do it. They're not sitting in a, in a place for three hours to go watch a movie. And I get it. You want to be mm-hmm. home. You want to pause it to go, you know, make food or what? I get it. I'm not, you know, I'm not that kind of a moviegoer, but I understand the people that are. And yeah. I feel like Oppenheimer is that times the no cool catching the, you know, Avengers Assemble type shit. There's none of that. There's yeah. the, the bomb going off and then the aftermath. And if you mm-hmm. aren't like on board with this stuff, you're going to be like, all right, bro. You know, <laughs> those are the kind of people that can't make it to my Lord of the Rings extended edition watch party. I'm telling you, dude. Yeah, <laughs> they're not down no for the 12 way. hours. They're There's not down no for it, man. Way, dude. There's no Bring way. Bring a hot pocket. Right. Um, what follows Dark Knight to... Rises yeah. is my favorite. Go for it. I don't know about you, but it's my all-time favorite from him. Interst- Wait, really? Yeah. Okay. I don't please, think anything please, will please, ever please beat explain. that. Okay, so it's from the first frame. I'm not even going to lie to you. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I think it's the okay. score because it's my favorite score, and he's usually having Hans Zimmer work with him. Like, he had... Yep a good relationship with him and then he had like james newton howard on with some of the batman stuff but eventually it just kind of became hans and hans started blowing up that man went from lion king to dark knight you know yep and it's something about the first initial image of the movie which is murph's bookshelf and it just has like dust on it and like a little model of like a ship or something and books and i was like there's something really weirdly magical that immediately you got the vibe of it and i was like okay that and i was just my heart was pounding that whole film because the whole film it's always like we got to go do this and then they get screwed and then i just think to myself dude there's no way and then they find a little Mm -hmm. way out and then they get screwed dude my stomach was like in knots i was so excited to see like what the hell was gonna happen and again like three damn hours like 245 you know what I mean? It's a long film, but <laughs> the music film. for it just drags you through and just delights you. And McConaughey at that point, he did a film right before that called Mud. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yep. Seen it. And impressed a lot of people because, you know, you knew who McConaughey was. He was all right, all right, all right. And he was, you know, in, in rom-coms with jennifer gardner and kate hudson so like you didn't take him seriously and then he came in interstellar and just fucking smashed it and i was like Bro. yo that guy has me crying man and he stacked it with people you wouldn't you know you wouldn't think about like he used Anne hathaway again then matt we discussed that with johnny that matt damon came out of nowhere casey affleck's there the lovely jessica chastain and there's just everything about that film 
impressed the hell out of me and you know you love it when you go home and there's nothing else on your mind it's just stuck in there and you're just like i gotta fucking watch that i think i watched it like four times dude i couldn't get enough wow dude yeah i yeah when it comes to interstellar it, again uh, like i said in the beginning of the podcast it was the first movie i saw in imax or true imax mm-hmm. um i remember walking out with a bunch of friends and we like drove all the way back to our dorms and didn't say a word to each other because of how much that movie <laughs> just was just just pure silence I, I just remember like just and not even wanting to talk it was just kind of mm-hmm. we just kind of were like wow what did we just watch you know and then on top of that too i will say uh mcconaughey i think mcconaughey owes a lot of where he is now as an actor so to that. christopher nolan yeah mud for so. sure was a fantastic film i'm not taking anything away from mud there is no Dallas Buyers Club without Interstellar. I, I think, think Interstellar it coaxed it out. That, yeah. Yeah. I think the Interstellar kind of showed that McConaughey is more than, like you said, all right, all right, all right. He's, yeah, yeah, he yeah. is a very layered actor. There were scenes in that movie, the one where um, his son, I think he's played by Timothy Chalamet. He's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Timothy. The, yeah, young Timothy's in there, and he's giving him the message, and 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 McConaughey is just bawling, and I just remember being like, "Oh, whoa!" Gosh, you know, like man, like McConaughey brings. It felt like he gave every ounce of his being to that film, like everything he had. When he, uh, like, he, he, it is on every frame of that film, it's amazing, dude. To spoil it, yeah, well, I hope you already seen it. When when he they get back from the ship from the water planet and all that going sideways and burning all that time. Um, when he sees his daughter and she comes on the screen, Oof. you know, it's like 35 years old now. Yeah. I think it washed over the crowd all in one wave because I like audibly out loud was like, oh, dude, that's his daughter. And he starts bawling knowing how much time it got missed and he's still not back. And I was like, yo, hold back the tears, hold back the tears. It's Jeez, freaking brutal, man that and uh, also uh was a movie that uh confused me for a little bit because there was that scene where felt like a spoiler um again spoilers if you haven't seen interstellar uh where you see matt damon i love it and then i remember being like is that matt damon from the martian yeah yeah yeah, right like a crossover yeah i was like is that (laughs) like what What, what are you doing here yeah (laughs) is that 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 mr goodwill hunting himself Mr. Damon's in this? All right, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's freaking that funny. Is, uh, that movie is a masterpiece. I will say that Inception is my favorite Nolan mm-hmm. film, but yeah, I would, I wouldn't, I, if if you're gonna put Interstellar as number one, I'm not gonna uh, uh, say you're wrong. I totally understand because Interstellar is. It, it, I you saw you said you saw it four times, right? Oh, uh, at least, at least. Yeah, I've seen it twice, and I, I think I've rewatched uh inception more because mm-hmm. again the just the replayability factor of it all because the whole time you're like is the thing spinning or not like you know the yeah whole time? trying to um, figure it all out you know yeah whereas interstellar is such an emotional roller coaster that i feel like i couldn't go through it again it's like, yeah this is heavy bro this it's not so a, but it's again it's right in line it's not a film you just pop on casually. It's one of those things that like the lights got to be down, the music's got to be up. Like you, you, gotta, be in the mood. you can't have yeah. you can't have people like you know on their phones. Like I get mad with that film with people on their phones because I was like, no, nah, you got to be tuned in. 
Um, yeah. you or know, we're turning it off and we're turning on the office or some shit. Like, don't. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. What's sure. cool is that film has a couple of like my all time favorite moments from him. Obviously, the docking scene, that's the shit that got me. When I've reached that scene, I was like, oh, you know, that meme that's like, oh, my God. And one point yeah. second into the film and he's the goat. The docking yeah. scene with just the emotional buildup, the swell of the music, everything going at once. It's that perfect moment that we we're talking about that, like with Hitchcock and stuff like that. It's just like music image just combined and blended to just move you. And it's filmmaking at its finest because it's using every available tool that a filmmaker has to just absolutely just, you know, enthrall you like that. And it was emotionally punch you, dude. Yeah, dude. That and the other one that I think about a lot is actually with Matt Damon in that movie. And really, it's, it's when uh they're on the planet, you know, and they get into that little scrap where he's trying to mm-hmm. F them yep, up I and whatnot that. on the ice planet yeah. thing. And it's when he calls him a coward, but he dropped an F-bomb, which I felt, I was like, oh, that feels almost out of place for him for some reason, you know, with the films he's done lately. And I oh, thought sure. about it a lot, and it became like like my favorite line from that film, because I was like, oh, it's actually really well done, and it's actually purposeful. It's not just like he had an F-bomb to put one in a PG-13 movie. I pondered it a lot for no reason. I think it's profound. I don't know why. Wow, dude. Yeah, I don't think I I didn't sit on that line at all like that. That's I never even thought about it like that. Wow. It was one of those things where I was like, why did he do that? Like, it seemed so oddly out of place. And I just kept taking forever to think about why he like why out of all the movie, he suddenly was like cursing when he never did. And I was Mm -hmm. like, dang, bro, he really thought that like Matt Damon made it there. He just should have sucked it up and did it like he shouldn't have you know, done all this crazy stuff and been selfish. And I was like, dang, I just kept thinking about it, man. I don't know why. Wow, dude. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Was it ever, uh, like, was your point ever proven right? Like, did you watch like a behind I, the scenes and that was? The I'm case? not even, I'm not even sure. I just know oh, when okay. you go back and watch it, it's going to be different to you now. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Like, you know, dang. try to pay more attention to like the emotional that, nuance yeah. of it. Yeah. That's and that's why. Yeah, that's why they're they're brilliant. But anywho, oh, yeah. if we move on from right. Interstellar, we get to yeah, yeah, we get to my not. I didn't say least favorite, but like I don't really enjoy <laughs> Dunkirk too much. You know what I mean? Because obviously, you came off of Interstellar. I'm wanting more of the same. You know, I'm of wanting course, like a big sci-fi thing. I'm wanting an adventure, and he and was you like, get Harry Styles, and you because <laughs> at that point he's. You know, Nolan has become an event guy. It's a household name. So you're looking forward to what he does next. And he was like, yeah. okay, a war movie about Dunkirk and War War II. And I said, okay, I'm thinking uh, Saber Private Ryan time. You know what I mean? I'm thinking okay, he's in okay. his bag. And then we get that, which is fascinating because it's a movie that's set in three pieces. You know, all the stuff in the air and the planes with Tom Hardy, all the stuff with Harry and the boats. And then you look at the land with all the soldiers still running around. And it's yep. really cool. And it's a cool concept, but it never really flows as a film to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I'm looking for it to be like a bottom-to-top narrative and something you follow, and it feels more like an experiment to me that he did. Yeah, I I never even saw this one. Um, and and then like kind kind of like uh like what you're saying right now. There are so many people that came to me with like, eh, it's all right. Yeah, and for some reason that. Plus, I knew the the runtime was long because it's Nolan. 
So, yeah. so it's like, all right, I'm going to have to pay attention because it's Nolan. It's long and people are telling me it's meh. So I kept putting it off and I just never watched it. So like, if you could, you want me to read a synopsis or do you remember? Like, what oh, is I got movie you. Really... Oh, it, it's, okay. it's when the soldiers, like British soldiers and whatnot, got trapped on, on, on Dunkirk and there were like civilians using boats to try and get them out and whatnot. There was all this dog mm-hmm. fights. So he splits the movie into like three things and interweaves them together. So he's telling a story about fighter pilots. He's telling a story about them trying to get off the land and then trying to get onto these boats. And he's telling a story about the civilian boats coming to try and rescue them and whatnot, yeah. uh, you know, during World War II. But it feels more like an experiment because he's weaving in all these pieces. But the thing about the film is it's really intense. Like the music and everything is very big, very loud and in your face. So he's trying to really put you in there and make it visceral to be like, you're there, you're a soldier like your your heart is pounding and it's mm. the first time that he started to step into like the his movies are louder as fuck kind of phase for me before they were gotcha. loud and impressive but it was like i love it crank it it's dope but that yeah. film when it started it blew eardrums like there's just soldiers oh, getting wow. shot in the street and i just remember for the first time being like hey yo can you turn this down there's normally one <laughs> it up. it's quiet as hell but i was yeah. like yo that hurt like those shoulders are getting blown away. But then I thought, this is crazy because I feel like I'm there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like gunshot yeah, is point. loud as fudge, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Interestingly. Yeah, probably his intention, yeah. Dang. Yeah, even though it's low on my list, it's actually one of Tarantino's. It was something that he said was like one of his favorite films that year, that he loved it just because of that it was like a very visceral, you know, like filmmaking experience and it really put you in it. And I was like, oh, mm. that's interesting. At least somebody recognized, you know what I mean? <laughs> game recognized game, bro. Hey, game recognized. Nah, I know people are going to be interested in this next one because following that was Tenet, which I was hyped uh, for. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a lot. There's a lot going into Tenet. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I, I'm uh See, I didn't see Dunkirk, so I can't speak to uh, how uh, where it ranks. Is, I haven't watched it, and I, you know, I, I, I try not to rank films. I haven't watched it. Mm-hmm. So Tenet was on my least favorite. I will mm-hmm. say I was the most excited to see it because it was off COVID times when like the theaters were shut down. Yeah. So when theaters got back up and it was like, and on top of it, Nolan was dropping something. It was like, all right, we got this Denzel's this... son, bro. Like, yeah, we're about I didn't to even know in. that. Yeah. Right. Like we're about to go in like Den- Denzel's got a son looks just like him. So it's pretty much like he pretty much got Denzel yeah. and it's a Nolan film. So we bought, and it's Pattinson. Coming straight mm. off the what was that? What was that other movie he did that was really good before this? It was like a uh, bank robber movie. Good times, you, good times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brothers or whatever. Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. So it's like, uh, like then we had you know Pattinson, and I was like, all right, like we about to we about to roll. And then that was the most confusing movie I've ever seen in my. I still don't understand what I watch to this <laughs> day. Pattinson no was cutting. Uh, Pattinson was cutting his teeth and like low budget side things to try and get off of that twilight thing and i'm so glad oh, he yeah, shook he it that when he yeah. was on this film set they were saying he lied to chris nolan to get a day off to get out so he could do the batman audition but christopher nolan was eight steps ahead and he was like oh you're gonna go do the batman audition right and he was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> like how you gonna lie bro you know you're gonna do the batman which yeah. he knocked out you know but yeah of course i defend the hell out of tenant because i think it's a really cool film i think it got swept up visually in a, amazing a hellish time period of covid theaters open are they not open 
he got into yeah. the beef with HBO and and uh, Warner Brothers because they decided to take all the big tentpole films that year and do a dual release same day on the app and in theaters. And people got really pissed and messed with a lot of stuff. So he dipped, went to Universal after. It is a visually really insane movie. You got Denzel Jr. You got all these classy actors. It looks gorgeous. It's three hours again. The problem with it is that it's Inception cranked up a few degrees, but it's not as easy to grasp as Inception was. Not so as easy think... digestible for sure. Yeah, it wasn't as palatable to like the average audience. So unless you really liked Nolan and his those kind of films that he's been cranking, you didn't really get it. And then people just had more negative than positive to say, you know? Yep. 100%. Because what other, f- but I was still with it because I get it wasn't as easy. People are getting more negative now anyway. So I think that was kind of the crap. Stupid Rotten point. Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes rigged like a motherfucker. Um, mm. But I was like, where, where else are you getting this? Like, I don't care if it's harder to understand or, you know, maybe it missed the step. Like, bro, where are you getting people going backwards in time while they're going forward in time, while they're catching bullets, while shooting bullets? I was like, there's nothing else like this. This is freaking immaculate, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the 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 inventness of it, like, the newness of it was cool. Like, it was... Mm -hmm. It was a cool premise like it's not like i it just i think for me again i respect it because it's another thing of nolan like i'm not gonna spoon feed it to you like it, you know we're, you're gonna have 100%. to figure this out but it was like getting like a really hard sudoku puzzle like it's like you're you really want to figure it out but you're like i i don't got it bro what is it i can't figure this shit out <laughs> <laughs> what is this what is this trying to tell me um so, sometimes the yeah. beauty of them is that it's a film that like now you have to watch multiple times to 100%. really start getting it but i do think it was a little harder than it needed to be and he could have smoothed out maybe some of it you know what i mean yeah I, I think it down it's just like given given something like there's something in that film i feel like is missing that gives the audience like a aha moment and then letting yeah. them figure out the rest because again like you can't give an audience an aha moment that leads them to want to go watch it again to be like yeah what did i miss because that was cool okay i got it but what the fuck okay i gotta watch it again to figure out what the fuck i missed rather than speed putting all of it to it but this one just felt like like instead of like here comes the airplane it was like the food's over there go find it <laughs> yeah like, god damn nolan because there's, <laughs> there's points throughout inception that allow you to grab it like there's all these scenes with you know leo and his wife that slow it down. Then you have like yeah. Joseph Gordon's character in there that'll explain some things. Then they'll show you an example of something. And it was laid out better, but intended is just kind of like, boom, what's that? Oh, Bro. going back. All right, this. And the problem I think too is is the style of the film because you never learn uh, John David Washington's like name. He's just called the protagonist. Like he just has the handle because it's basically like his version of a friggin' James Bond. Which no yeah. one says he's all, he was always inspired by them and he's always wanted to do one. So when I went in, I said, this is his version of James Bond. So it's going to be bananas. And oh. that's why I was like, okay, cool. It's a spy film. So when I started thinking about it like that, I was like, okay, it's a spy. You don't know his background and he doesn't want you to know anything about it. He doesn't want you to have emotional anchors with him. It's just, this is his job and he's going to do it. Makes more sense from that angle, but it doesn't really give you the moments where you could slow per se. It does in the yeah. beginning where he goes to the scientist and she's trying to teach him about 
the the pieces that have been irradiated and things like that but we need a little bit more of that like snuck in every 30 minutes you know what i'm saying trillion percent trillion percent yeah and yeah, much dude. like dunkirk it was even fucking louder yo yeah that movie was fucking loud oh if, if, my was dunkirk gosh dude louder than this because nope. yeah, this movie was fuck okay because this movie was i loud. hit the imax and i had the time of my life because you couldn't hear the person next to you the whole opera scene where everyone's getting shot and oh, things yeah, getting blown yeah, yeah, up yeah, yeah, and yeah. the music's going bam the whole uh fantastic because nolan is always known for doing as much real as he can so when they crashed the jet plane into the building in the middle of the mm. movie at the airport loud as all hell the music's ripping and i was having the time of my life but i do understand people's beef about the audio because he's making his stuff for like surround sound dolby this and when you don't yeah. have that at home and you're trying to right. watch it off of like not a someone's Samsung insignia Galaxy, 32 inch tv bro, yeah, exactly, insignia. Yeah. it doesn't bro. work and it's hard to then hear it, which is a big problem nowadays with everything. So I, you know, subtitles are on in my house, dog. Yeah, dude. Because we're watching anime and because I can't hear Jack. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. It's a, I'm sure, yeah, for anyone who watched that one at home, is like, this motherfucker blow out my speakers? Like, what the Yo, fuck is happening? Right the now? subwoofer was working OT and I didn't have the money to pay him. Oh, uh, I'm telling you, dude. Uh, but it brings but, us yeah, to... maybe that's one I got to... That's one I got to watch again. I got to give that one another because I've only seen it when I saw it in the theaters. And I was like, I don't know what that was. And then on top of that, I wanted to see it again mm -hmm. in the theaters. But then there was also the, you know, the COVID yeah, shit. So it was, was crazy. Like, All right. Yeah, it was just a crazy time. So I never got to see it again. So that one, uh, along with Dunkirk, I do need to spend some time and go over again. Mm -hmm. But like you said, we get to uh, our most recent entry, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. The hype uh, was let real. Let you go, man. Yeah, the hype was real. The hype was real. Barbenheimer was an event <laughs> like none other. None I was other. So thrilled to be a cinephile during that time and to see so many people just happy to go back to the movies. Whether you saw oh, Barbie yeah. or Oppenheimer, it was just cool to see people excited about movies. I'm really mm -hmm. it was it was so cool to see, man. So cool to see. Um, so yeah, what's like what we thoughts, man? Like we said, Nolan jumped ship to Universal. Which is what I would have done. Because if you're going to go from Warner Brothers to something else, you got to choose an old school one. You got to choose something that's been around for 100 years. So they jumped to Universal. Yeah. And there was early buzz about this for a long time about him doing Oppenheimer. I was initially very worried because then I thought to myself, is this going to be another Dunkirk where it's something that's not a crazy original idea? It's a historical thing. But let the man cook. You know what I mean? Um, heard all these good things. For Tenet, he hadn't used Hans Zimmer because Hans was on Dune, which he murdered, by the way. Very good soundtrack. No, so he was yeah. using uh, Gambino's dude, Ludwig. Ludwig, bro. Who was on uh, Black Panther with Kugler. Um, so he killed this Tenet thing. The Tenet is such a funky soundtrack. So they said Ludwig was going to be on it. He was going to use Hoyt Van Hotema, who he's been using as his director of photography. Uh, used to always use Wally Pfister, but now that's kind of changed. Then they said Oppenheimer. Then they said three hours. Then they said rated R. Then the big push came through for IMAX film. You got people, cinephiles salivating. Then they had this big marketing thing that people just pushed into a meme of Barbie opening up same weekend as Oppenheimer. Which one were you going to see? It's interesting because it's his old studio Warner Brothers going against him. And I swear I've never seen more people go out to the movies in my life. There was a thousand ladies never, on this dude. side in pink. There was a thousand dudes on this side waiting to see Oppenheimer. 
And it, like you said, it was just nice to see people be like enjoying going out again, you know? Yeah, dude. Yeah, it was just like the, loving this was that the, experience. That weekend was the weekend I felt that COVID was over, like officially. It was, it was like they stamped like, right, it, boy. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, like it's it's done. We're we're back to you know. If it, it made me feel, it's been a while since I felt I felt bad for theater AMC workers or like people that worked at movie. <laughs> Right, the first time in a long time, I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be a rough weekend for y'all." They gonna be cleaning that. Dylan and I met at a theater. You know what I mean? So it's like I remember what it was like to 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 get hit with trash juice. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like to for you know Beauty and the Beast live action opening weekend and being like, "We're gonna die." We're gonna die. For oh, we're gonna die. Any Marvel movie? It is what it is. Yo, you remember Moana? we should have just quit for moana dude those kids were savages i'm telling you man you don't know what kind of bicep strength you need until you have to lift out a trash bag where 40 people have drinking (laughs) maybe three sips of their 40 ounce soda (laughs) of double coffee like please don't break please don't like dude and it's leaking like it's just leaking down your shoulder Oh my gosh. Taking it like a champ, bro. But anyway, um, yeah. Anyway, thoughts on Oppenheimer, bro. What what were your your thoughts? Impressive for so many reasons because it is a rated R film, which typically studios don't like to do because you get less money, obviously, off the bat than a PG 13 film. But not only is it rated R, it's also like an historical biop and it's three hours. So it's so many things working against it. And as of like yesterday, it had surpassed Deadpool 2 in box office for a rated R film. I think it's now like number two on box office growth. So incredibly impressive what he was able to do. Still a good size budget, but not, you know, anything like too insane. Stacked with actors. I'm telling stacked, dude. Everyone from Matt Damon, from Killian to Florence Pugh to Emily Blunt to the guy who played Roderick. Robert Josh Downey. Peck was in there. Robert Downey uh, is probably going to scoop an Oscar for it. You had Alden in there who played Han Solo. Like, just yeah. dozens of, like, quality-ass actors in every role, no matter if it was two minutes or 20 seconds. And I was like, dude, he is killing it with this. Insane cinematography, beautiful music throughout the whole thing. Just a really haunting story of just you know the whole situation of crafting the bomb you know the the science of it wanting to press forward wanting to invent but then having the responsibility of having done something atrocious to someone else because of it going off the yeah the bomb over in japan it it was it was definitely one of those things that for me made it like top contender for movie of the year because it was just so nicely done and it was incredible to see something that yeah, rated R historical in three hours really just capture people and make a butt ton of money, dude. It was dope. It, it cemented no one being back in good graces with like the entirety of America to me. So I'm like, okay, cool, we're good to go. Hundred <laughs> percent, dude. Yeah, I, Oppenheimer for me was a film that it's it's very rare that you get movies that make you want to go back and learn more about history. Mm. And learn more about what you just watched because again it's like it's i i keep telling people that have seen the movie as well i was the idiot that when they showed albert einstein i was like 
why the fuck is Albert Einstein in this movie? It's, it's, he's... it's the Avengers initiative, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in my head, I was like, Did, is Nolan wrong? Like, I thought, I, I thought, in my head, you think Einstein's this super old scientist. Like, I didn't think he was around when Oppenheimer wasn't around. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, on top of that, uh, so seeing him in the movie, sorry if that's a spoiler, he is in the trailer, but, if that, you know, he is in it. You, so learning about Oppenheimer quantum physics is one of the most interesting aspects that like it's such a cool uh science that I could never I'm I'll I will never be smart enough to understand <laughs> and to under to know that these this movie does such a good job at portraying the scientists doing theories like that's all quantum physics is is learning theories this is a theory that we're going to test out I think mm -hmm. this will happen. This is the probability that it will happen. Let's go figure it out. He, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't build anything. It's all about theories. So mm -hmm. to me, it's like seeing that happen. Um, the, the scene that struck with me the most was the scene where um, they're about to detonate the bomb um, or the test. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the, Trinity test. the Trinity test. Correct. Yeah. And um, Matt Damon's character is talking to Oppenheimer and he's like, uh, what's the probability that we destroy the earth? Yeah. And he's like, oh, the probability is slim to none or, or something like he he gives him like an actual number. Yeah. And he was like, uh, what? And he's like, you know, well, he was like, is it it's not I'd rather it be zero. And he's like, yeah, there's some people betting that it that it might destroy the earth. And in my head, I'm like, if there's even a point zero zero two one percent chance, I'm not hitting this button. Oh hell no! And they yeah. still did it, like, still. and that's and this isn't made up. This happened, and on top of that, sorry to nerd out for a second. The, you know, obviously, what happened uh, in Japan, like those bombs going off, was one of the worst events in human history. What happened to those mm -hmm. innocent people is tragic. We have bombs forty times worse than that, right? Oh now. yeah, way stronger. If, if not, stronger. if not more, because then there's yeah, there's the atomic bomb, which uh, Oppenheimer was the catalyst for but now there was the hydrogen bomb we've gone well over atomic at this point Th these bombs yeah. if if we ever press the button that's it game over and i also again because of this movie did so much research and understood that like um and i don't know if you know this dylan or maybe i told you the if you don't know when they set off the bombs there's so many ways that the bomb can explode in which it could have effects on the earth and how in the places that it lands. So when it landed over, um, where are the two yeah. places it landed over again? I am blanking uh, right now. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Hiroshima. Okay, so I think Hiroshima is the place that if you were to go to now, people are mm -hmm. living in it. It's fully occupied. Like people yeah. are thriving. Whereas, like if you think about um, Chernobyl, you can't yeah. even go there without getting cancer. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. So because of the way the bomb was detonated, it was detonated in the air. So because it was detonated in the air, it still had tragic events on the people that lived there, but the land wasn't as contaminated. So they were able to rebuild centuries later, whereas, yeah. or years later, whereas if it would have hit the ground and then detonated, bro, bro you know what I mean? And, and on top yeah. of that, it's, uh, they explain in the movie too, it's a chain reaction. These atoms are having a chain reaction to a chain reaction to a chain reaction which is causing this eruption uh, of atoms. 
um, it is theorized that that first atomic bomb that was set or those atomic bombs that were set over was probably out of 100% chain reaction capability was probably like 8%. It didn't even finish the chain reaction and caused Hmm. that much damage. 8%. That's crazy. That's crazy. Like, that's crazy, dude. And I'm saying the the nerd in me like likes learning about this shit because it's just really interesting. Again, that a person like Oppenheimer um, could theorize that kind of stuff. And then on top of it, going back to the movie part of it, Killian Murphy does such a fantastic job, bro, of portraying Man Oppenheimer. Haunted. He looks haunted Dude. like that whole time. Oh, um, the 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 sequence in that like gymnasium, like I it was mm-hmm. you could see it. It's Killian's eyes too. He has it in every movie. His eyes tell a story in everything yeah. that he does. They did but those this uh, movie Oppenheimer especially. like blue piercing eyes, and he just Ooh. like he carries it with them, man. It's a phenomenal. He carries it, dude. It's it. He doesn't have to say a word, and mm-hmm. you know everything on his mind. Like it, it's mm-hmm. this is uh, again uh, setting aside the Dark Knight. There is for me. There is uh, Inception. And, I, and and for me, it's tied between Oppenheimer and Interstellar. Because Interstellar is fantastic. I'm not trying to write it off. But Oppenheimer, again, was such a well-done movie. And I'm a sucker for a good history piece that makes people go back and learn about history that maybe they weren't interested in before. Because, again, these are mm-hmm. things that actually happened. This isn't a fiction piece. Yeah, I'm sure there are things they, they fantasize and stuff or, you know, yeah. whatever. But, like, this is... This is pretty accurate to what happened. So it's like, that's, it's crazy, dude. So crazy. I think because films are like that too, that they're, they're one of those things that just get you fascinated about anything. Like, bro, you know, you saw Inception and then went home on YouTube to try and figure out how to, how to like a uh, lucid dream. You know, he bought a book and whatnot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Saw Tenet and I'm trying to learn about, you know, time travel. Saw yep. Interstellar. I'm trying to learn about gravity and time dilation and and whatnot like he definitely really gets you in the mood for that and i think it's dope dude it definitely pushes people to check out history i know i hit the barnes and noble and i saw a full stack of all the the oppenheimer books and the the uh you know prometheus whatever the title is american prometheus whatever yeah yeah i saw all that so i was like i'm i'm down for it man to me it almost feels like someone wanted to make a version of like like what america's godzilla film would be because when godzilla dropped mm. in like 54 there was so much about japan that had changed because obviously the bombs dropped and then you know years later you're trying to recover it so so much of godzilla for them was just a personification of like the horror of those bombs and what the atomic age means and you know it's yeah. all summarized in a big giant atomic crazy lizard monster dude and to me this is like if america took a stab at saying well we're the ones who dropped it but let's make our own version of what that's like on a person on the soul and let's center it around the guy who was like a driving force for it and see kind of what it did to his brain and yep uh, it's insane what they do to him after it gets done you know they're all like well good job yep you did it and then they literally like castrate him we'll take it from here yeah you know and interrogate him the the whole mccarthyism and the red scare happened and they're trying to find all the commies so they literally just killed the man's whole life and they put his whole thing out in display for everybody which is really disgusting like how much they just 
don't care about privacy. Like they throw all his secrets out there in front of his wife, and yeah, you know, it's yeah. crazy, dude. I really but... loved the uh, the juxtapose of the beginning again. Going back to the Einstein stuff, like he meets he meets Einstein, and uh, yeah, or he sees Einstein. It's not, he, the first time they see him, they meet in the movie is the first time they've actually met uh, in terms of context clues when they're talking. Um, mm-hmm. But you see at that point, Einstein has kind of done his, like everything that we've praised him for is kind of over. He's kind of in his yeah, like, like send off time. Little twilight phase, yeah. yeah. Correct. And he's kind of talking to Oppenheimer and being like, you're next up, but like it's going to happen to you. And then... Mm-hmm that ending scene where he gets that prize and it's like Oppenheimer is exactly what uh, what Einstein was like you're just kind of forgotten like it's, it's oh, like yeah. you're drop the you coldest know, line this year man yeah yeah I said, they're gonna serve you potato salad and give you an award but like previously they kicked you out the damn country you know same thing yeah, they did the you know ch- I mean? same thing they did to Charlie Chaplin dude same thing yeah you they know, accuse him of being just... a communist. They they did whatever. He left the country, and then twenty years later, they go, "Whoops, sorry. Here's an Oscar." You know, here's an Oscar. My my bad. My yeah, bad. exactly. It's, it's it's crazy, dude. You know, I um, it's it's crazy. Um, but it's a movie that again, if you were interested in anything like that, or just want to see uh, a good drama piece, a good piece about like again, everyone in that movie brings. Robert Downey Jr. could have easily phoned this one in. There's so many actors that could have easily just phoned this in. And they all gave everything they have because of the person that we're talking about in this episode, which is Christopher Nolan. Everyone was Mm -hmm. excited to work with him. Everybody wanted to give him everything they had. And it shows on screen. Robert Downey Jr. gives arguably his best performance since Iron Man. Maybe. The first one. I mean, like, it's... True story. You know? So I... I am... This movie was so great to me. It was fantastic. Fantastic. And you know, and I think there's like a stigma on black and white film being something that's kind of just like a pretentious art school thing, but he uses a black and white film really well to try and juxtapose between like which time period is which, what story is being told. And I didn't know until after the film came out that the script is written that way too, that what? anything anything that's like color with Oppenheimer is actually first person. The script itself is from his point of view, first person written down. And then the other stuff is kind of subjective from the outside, black and white, you know, uh, all that court stuff and whatnot. And then the script is written, you know, in a traditional manner at that point. And I was like, yo, messed up I'd be trying to read first person script, trying to figure out what's going on when you're used to just reading <laughs> a regular format, you know? But sure, I'm like, it's yeah. brilliant because it tells everybody exactly what it is. This is this guy. You're in his brain. You're in his life. And it's all about him. And then when you get to this black and white, you're taking a breather and you're stepping out and you're looking from someone else's thing. So yeah. having it be that color in black and white really actually made a hell of a lot of sense. And I think just flows well, you know? 100%. Yeah, for sure. Dang, I can't say right, any man. more good things, man. It's just it's just love and love and love, man. Yeah, <laughs> man. I Final, final thoughts and it doesn't even have to be about a specific film just about nolan man final thoughts about this my, great filmmaker that's still out here making films you know what i mean my final thought is dude it's the thought i have every time is like what's he doing next like i always get that way yeah. as soon as i walk out of the theater i'm like yo google him real quick see what work you know see what like little plot he may be adapting or what he's working on he said that he won't do anything until after the, you know, the strikes, obviously. He, of know, course, of course. He's about standing with uh, all the parties striking. But I just, man, I can't wait because 
the to see how big the push is for the 70 millimeter iMac to see how much he's pushing like all the boundaries of you know what film could be and trying to bring back this kind of heyday of theaters is is cool it's nice to know somebody's really gunning for it and trying to hold it up you know yeah i agree man yeah i think there's nolan is uh one of the greatest filmmakers working today and like dylan said at this point anything that man makes is a must-see you know until until the wheels fall off i'm getting on that bus for nolan you know um real man yeah man it's been such a joy to to watch i rewatch some of these films I, there's still some films i need to see with dunkirk and we, we watch tenet and the prestige so i definitely need to watch those but um if you've listened to this episode or you're interested in any of those films please give them a listen please give our last podcast with johnny um a listen uh the dark knight one we go more in depth if you are more interested in the the dark knight or the Batman films that Nolan's done, please rewatch that episode. I forget which one that is, but I'll try to link it below um, on this podcast, uh, either on Apple or Spotify. Uh, but other than that, it's been Cam. It's been Dylan. And this has been Extra Butter. We appreciate y'all. And stay tuned with us because it's about to get spooky, y'all. For sure, oh. for sure. But until <laughs> then. For sure, for sure. Later, guys. <laughs> I like that one. Goodbye, Goodbye. Goodbye.